0: Hey, it's Ben here. And in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Hey there, this is Ben Courier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, We'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure. This is Ben Currier here, and I am talking with Steve Sims. Hey there, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Thanks for having me. And where are you talking to me from? I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Very cool. I was there uh, about a month and a half ago, maybe. I've been doing a lot of road tripping, so I've been all over the place. Uh, And I was going to live in California, but I realized it's crazy expensive no matter where you go. It's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. For people who might not know you, also, the, the main background I've seen is that Forbes article, which is insanely, it sounds super amazing, the kind of life you're living. Is that really the life that you have? And, and maybe give the listeners a little background in case they haven't read nothing. Yes
1: and no. Um, it's the life I lead. It's not the person I am. So bottom line of it is I am a kid from London that, you know, left school at the age of 15, became a bricklayer because that's what my dad was, but couldn't understand why I was poor. The bottom line of it is I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, go to the building site, get wet, smacked, bruised, cut, come home at 8.30 in the night. Cold and damp. So I didn't mind doing the hours, but why wasn't I rich? So I went out to try and find these people. I started working for everyone from Sir Elton John, Richard Branson. I've worked uh, with the Vatican. I've sent people down to the Titanic. As Forbes said, I was basically the Make a Wish Foundation for people with very, very large checkbooks. And they actually coined me the real life Wizard of Oz. I didn't want that lifestyle. I didn't go out in life and go, hey, I'm going to be the most connected man that makes fantastical things happen. I went out to basically engage with rich people to go, hey, why are you rich and I'm not? And that was it. So yes, the pictures can show me hanging around with Sir Elton John, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, taking over museums, taking over massive parties in Monaco. But understand for me, it was always the how. How did you get where you are? Why uh, did those people not? And that was the whole premise behind it. The the luxurious, you know, social Instagram pictures that you see, that was my Trojan horse into the life of the very, very rich and powerful.
0: Yeah, and once you can convince them, or once you convince a few of them that you're worth hanging around with, it kind of snowballs and gives you a little bit more credibility with each extra person, I imagine, right? Correct. You know, we never had a web. Uh, The funny thing was,
1: um, for many, many years, no one knew who I was, you know, uh, you know, for any of you that can't see me on the screen here. Yeah. I'm not a pretty guy. I'm 240 pound of tattooed, pierced, you know, ugly bomb. That's the bottom line of it. I'm a biker, but the funny thing was my website, uh, was pretty crap. Never even had a phone number and an email on it. And we didn't realize this for probably about six years. But it didn't matter because again, once you looked after one billionaire, guess who they know? So I was getting all these introductions. And then one day someone said to me, how do we contact you? And I was like, well, you know, I've got a website. And the guy was like, yeah, but you've got no phone number or email on there. And I realized we'd never needed it. So that's when I really started to realize the whole premise behind being a solution, being an asset and referral marketing.
0: So is it all about uh, having like a go-giver kind of mentality and make sure whatever you're doing, you try to either be connected to people who know each other. So like, I know a guy kind of thing who has yeah. what you're looking for.
1: I was, uh, look, I'm a, I'm also an arsehole and I'm, you <laughs> I know, <hear> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I move with purpose. And of course I'm 55 now, so I haven't got many, many years left. So I'm a cynical arsehole, which is even worse. <laughs> so if there's no point or benefit, From the outset, even if there's a risk of it not happening, there's got to be a goal and an aim. So every conversation I've got into, I've got into with a purpose. Everyone that I've spoken to, and as I say, um, my relationships with Elon Musk and Sir Richard Branson and all the other people that we want to name drop, they didn't happen by accident. Yeah, I made sure I did my research. What did they need? How could I help? How could I bring value? And I entered into every single conversation as a potential asset to
0: their life I think that's huge Because a lot of times I'm sure They're used to people Just literally trying to take As much as they can from them Or get something every from time. Them. Yeah. yeah So every, they're very pleased time. When you come forward With something that Would benefit Especially if you did your research And you know exactly What they need In their lives But is that Like for example What was the first person That you met And like how'd you How'd you For a better word Like weasel your way in So to speak To their circle So there's two, there's
1: a question there, but I want to go back. Uh, You made a statement in there that showing up, doing your research and showing up as a solution to that problem and answering that problem, you know, by doing that research. Here's the funny thing. I remember once, so there's two stories here. I -hmm. remember once that I wanted to get in front of this guy. He was a Silicon Valley mogul, billionaire. He was working on a project. I wanted him in my world. I did a bit of research. I found one of these projects he was working on and I did my research on it. Probably, you know, about a month, just like going backwards and forwards on it. It wasn't time consuming, but, you know, just wanted to get some, some dirt on it. And I came up with three hurdles that he would have to overcome or three potential problems that he would have in this project and a solution to them. Okay. Now they were pretty weak, but I wanted to show him that I had done my homework. So I turned up at this event, was watching the guy like a vulture. And then there was this time that he was available. Bang, I went in and I do this with every single person. So anyone out there that wants to meet someone of profile, follow these tips. Tip number one, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Steve Sims. Number two, very, very important. Say these words, you don't know me. And then get into the conversation. Whenever you meet someone, that's the thing. Well, who's this person? What does he want? You know, Do I know him? Are we friends? Is he a friend of a friend? And it causes you to be around. So if you go, hey, how are you doing? My name's Steve Sims. You don't know me. It relaxes them. And then I jumped in with, hey, I was looking at what you're doing. And it's fantastic, all the stuff you're getting involved in. But I was looking at a project you were working on. And I noticed three things that I saw could be a potential problem. And I've come up with three ways of getting over those. Would those be of interest to you? Now, if you're launching a new project, if you're launching a new book, a podcast, a website, and someone contacts you and go, hey, I love what you're doing, but I've noticed a few things that could potentially go wrong. You're going to want to hear to them. Okay. Yeah. You're going to want to hear them out. So this guy says to me, all right, go for it. Tell me, and this is in a party, and I went through the three hurdles that I found mm-hmm. and the three basic kind of ways he could either remove that problem completely or get over them, okay? And he looks at me, and he laughs at me. He looks at his mates next to him that work for him. They started laughing.
0: And that's at you, not with you, right?
1: Well, I'd like to think it was, you know, you know, with me, but no, it was. Yeah, you're right. It was directly at me, and I'm thinking to myself. And again, understand, two hundred and forty pound of ugly. Yeah, this isn't really sitting well with me, being laughed at in a party. So I thought to myself, all right, time to move on. And as I walked away to move off, the guy grabbed me by the shoulder. Now he was quite a big lad as well, so he stopped me. He said, No, 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 please, please, hang, hang on, hang on you got to know why we're laughing. I said, well, I'd fucking like to, yes. (laughs) And he said to me, we've been working on this project for about four years. In summer of this year, about four months earlier than the conversation, we abandoned that project because we had come up with three things that would go wrong with the project, and we decided to cancel it because we couldn't look at an opportunity of getting over them. He said, how long were you researching this? I went, yeah, on and off, you know, a few weeks. He said, if we'd have met you back, then, we'd still be able to do that project, but we killed the project. Yeah. You, looking at something for a few weeks, identified the problems that we in three years couldn't find. That's he awesome. said, now that project has been dismantled. It's gone off in different directions. I don't want to revisit it. He said, but would you be willing to look at another couple of projects for me? You see, even if you don't have the answer, even if you don't accurately have the, the, the resolution to our problem, even if you're slightly off based on the information you've got, you showed up being prepared to solve that problem. You showed up as an asset. You showed up as willing to help. People want problem solvers. They don't want someone to walk through the door and go, uh, Jerry, uh, there's a problem with something. Can you go and sort it? They want you to turn up and go, hey, Jerry, there's a problem, but I found two ways of solving it. Do you give me permission to do that. That's what we want today. So I saved myself and actually got a great deal of business of which I still work for the guy today in those projects by being laughed at. And it's now always a standing joke about, oh, you got to meet Steve. We laughed at him the first time we met him. That's how I'm always introduced by them. But the first thing that I ever did was when I was a doorman of a nightclub. And these four guys, they had money. One of them had a black card. First time I ever saw an American Express black card. And they couldn't get into this party. And I couldn't understand why. And so I went down and spoke to the host of the party and got them into the party. And I realized the reason that they hadn't got into the party was that they they hadn't asked the right person or the right question. But more importantly, they were terrified of being refused because they were like up-and-coming socialite guys. They had money. But the whole thing that was keeping them down was embarrassment. Embarrassment of the host of the party going, sorry, guys, we can't let you in. I didn't give a shit. I ain't never had any embarrassment. But I realized how many people had embarrassment. and with, And people, even today, especially entrepreneurs, how many entrepreneurs do you know won't try something in business, not for fear of it failing, but for fear of people laughing at them?
0: Yeah, or at least just even, you know, bearing your true soul or your true self to the world and it, what if they don't like it, you know? A lot of yep. people just avoid doing it because of that fear, but I mean if you never do it, then you just die with no one knowing who you are.
1: Yeah, I remember a friend of mine uh, said to me that the definition it was Joe Polish. Uh he said the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. Yeah. I want to be on the other side of that. So I want to make sure that I take all chances, shots, And when I fail, hurrah, that's where the education is.
0: That's a great way to do it. I think people on their deathbed are good examples of why, you know, what you regret in life. A lot of times people who are dying, they don't regret not working enough in the office or whatever. They regret all those chances they didn't take for those big dreams that they just let kind of float away and not really actually do anything to make it happen out of fear, out of whatever the thing is. You know, a lot of people just try try to stick with, you know, here's the the blueprint I got for how to live a life, you know, and go to business school and do all this stuff. And they really truly want to do something else, but the fear of, you know, just putting yourself out there can stop them. And that's really what you regret. If you do what you're doing and take every shot and take every risk, it's very unlikely you'll be regretting that on your deathbed, you know, as you're looking back on your life because you're like, Well, I tried everything I could and I don't, you know, I don't know what else I could have done to do better. But definitely doing a mediocre life is something that's certainly regrettable, at least I would think.
1: I've always had this, this vision, and I think it'll happen. When I'm on my deathbed, and they always say your life flashes before your eyes before you finally go. When my life flashes before my eyes, I reckon it's going to be so full and fantastical that there's going to be an intermission for popcorn. That's,
0: what, that's my goal. Two intermissions, I'd say, based on what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and so when did you decide? So you were, doing a, you were bricklaying, right? Yep. What was the moment? That you decided to do you were you were you were like why am i spending so much effort and getting almost nothing for it when did you decide to finally make that move and, and I, I imagine you quit your job right
1: it was my granddad it was my granddad um i was on the building site i'd climbed up these uh, scaffolding uh on a ladder and i had this big pile of bricks on my shoulder and i get to the top of uh, i get to the top of the ladder and at the top of the ladder is my dad uh his brother my uncle my two cousins and my granddad in his eighties. Now my granddad's a big Irish lump of a lad, nearly seven foot tall, all right? Big fella. And I saw my entire family lifeline, you know. Yeah. And after tea break time, ten thirty, we're all huddled in a caravan trying to get warm. It's raining outside. Usual, typical England day. And I squeezed through all the other builders and laborers to get to my granddad who, because of his age and his size was hogging the heater, trying to get warm. And I went up to him and I went, granddad, granddad, did you ever think you'd be doing this at your age? Now that's a very rude question. And quite simply, I should have just got a smack in the nose from him, but I didn't. He didn't look at me. He carried on blowing into his cup of tea to just cool it down a bit before he could take a sip. And he said to me, and I remember this word for word. He said, Son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I was like, Whoa. That's heavy. And the entire caravan went quiet. You know, my world just froze. Came out of the hut, walked up to my dad, who was running the building side of the time. I went, Dad, I've got to quit. And he's like, What? Now, as I was telling him the story, my granddad walked behind me. Now I'm six foot tall. My dad was five foot five. It it was hysterical because he obviously missed out on the family growth gene there. And so my granddad's seven foot, I'm six, and my dad's five, five. As granddad walked behind me, and when my granddad walked behind you, you knew it. You know, it was like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, (laughs) My dad looked up at him, paused, looked at me, and he went, all right, you finished Friday. Never, ever got the chance to see my granddad to say thank you to him. He died after that. Um, But I thought to myself, nah, I'm not going to be somewhere tomorrow that I don't want to be. Intentional, though, negative. Everything's planned. And I went out there, and I went out on a journey of complete failures. I entered into jobs that I was ill-qualified to do or didn't want to do. I tried to do business that, again, I was useless at. I found out a ton of things that I was crap at until I suddenly started to, to refine what I was looking for. And as I've always said, and you're a failure show. So you're like this. I've always said your failures and mistakes, they're there to refine you, not define you. And so I literally <laughs> went into it and I was like, all right, what can I get from this? How can I better from this? I'm never doing that again. Why? Because it doesn't work. I'm going down this route. So all the education comes from when shit goes wrong. You know, if everything went right for the rest of my life, I would truly be devastated.
0: You'd I mean, have a big ego probably too.
1: Uh yeah, I'd probably be a bigger prick than I am now. But you yeah. need stuff to go wrong so you can go, ah, where, where did that go? Where's the source, the nugget, the hook in that that could benefit me for the future?
0: Yeah. And and the other thing is some people avoid doing things just because of that fear of failure. But the only way to to get those failures and get those lessons and learn those things is to be trying new things and you know putting yourself out there and I think too many people they want to stack successes and avoid any amount of failure and they think that successes will will define them so to speak I mean you know more people than I know who are billionaires I've only known a couple but would you say any of them had no failures no
1: no you're kidding so I was in a room and I won't mention his name but i had been invited to this party by this very high profile entrepreneur that everyone will know. And we walked in there, walked up to the bar, got an old fashioned. He looked around at the room and he started scouting. And he turned around and he said, great, we're in a room full of failures. And I thought to myself, oh, he's not happy. But he had this big smile on his face and he went out and started mingling with everyone. You see, I noticed that the most successful people in the planet are serial failures Yeah. that entrepreneurial failures everything goes wrong until it goes right and it only really fails when you stop doing it yeah so when he turned around he went oh great room full of failures <laughs> i was like yeah oh, i like i like the way you put there so no absolutely every single one of them that i've dealt with um has learned from
0: stuff yeah so i think people need to get more comfortable with it and not view it as a bad thing. Certainly. I know there's a lot of stigma around the word. That's why I put it on my license plate and was trying to figure out ways of getting past it. Because my problem is I can't, I literally cannot learn things unless I do it. Like I can read a self help book a million times, but until I try some stuff and fuck it up for a while, I really can't learn lessons. Like for example, money doesn't buy happiness. Well, I need to go experience that (laughs) because I'm going to still think it makes me happy because until I know that it doesn't, I won't believe the people who are telling me otherwise. So it's it's interesting because, you know, you can learn from other people's failures, but really your own are the best lessons, you know. And the thing about rich people that we were just talking about is that you really only find out about them once they're a success. You don't know their failure times and they don't tend to brag about it. So you usually uh, see their kind of their best version of themselves, but you don't get that path that they took and all the things that they did wrong or things that, you know, haphazardly got them to the place where they want to be. And it seems like once they get there, oh, they should have, you know, they were destined to do that. And this is like a genius guy who would have been a billionaire no matter what. But really, you got to just keep trying different things and see what it is. Because otherwise, I mean, unless you're a freak of nature who happens to avoid most of the pain in life, I mean, you're still going to have failures. There's no way you can just succeed at anything or at everything you try. And so I always look at it as just certainly a stepping stone on the way to success. But one of the things I think is important is when I do have success and I do have any kind of good things happen, is try to figure out what are the failures that I encountered that made me not fuck this one up? Like I, I, I did these things right, but if I hadn't learned these lessons in the past, I wouldn't have done those things right, you know, to try to remind myself that it's important to, to mess things up, like whether it's building a website, like you said, not putting your email and phone number. Uh, you could look at that as a bad thing or like a mistake at least, but who knows what would happen? Maybe you would have got distracted by other things if people were contacting you. I mean, who knows? A lot of people don't just don't do things because it's scary. But I like to do too many things, which probably isn't the right way either. You want you want to focus a bit, but I have such you know bad ADHD that I want to jump to the new shiny object that entices me because. So I, I work in corporate finance and accounting. And I'm done. I'm I'm out of that forever. I've I don't know if you know the backstory, but I've been fired from every job I've had since I graduated college. And the most recent one was like a month ago. And I just can't do it. I can't have a boss. I can't be working in finance because if I'm doing finance all day, my finances, I don't even want to look at them because I'm already so done with finance. <laughs> so I need to do anything else so that maybe I can figure out my own shit because it's for people I don't like. The billionaire that I used to work for is a total asshole, would like not pay his vendors on time and stuff. And like, I'm sure they're really good billionaires, but just... Some of the mentality that comes along with like you know the high score mentality of you know upping your your number can produce some people who are like not the best. I'm hoping that the people you've met have been extraordinarily good and generous people, but I imagine there's a smattering of those who got there through being kind of a prick
1: yeah i' I know some narcissistic pricks um most of the most of the billionaires that I know that I like, that I continue to work with, uh, work on a relationship capital. And, you know, you get, far, you get far further by making sure someone's in your world that is a cultural and relationship fit. And when you have got that person in your world, you lock and load them. You keep them there. You entice them. You make sure they're looked after. So you've got the narcissistic pricks that will, you know, pay the bills late and then settle on a third of whatever the invoice is. Those aren't my kind of clients. My kind of clients want to be able to kind of like you know work hard, create impact, and and leave with leave with grace. So no, those are the people I work with, and yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm in a position of life that even though I have worked for some narcissistic pricks, I've been able to go no more, not working for you, and been able to move over to my other people.
0: Yeah, and so you say clients. What is your what would you say your business is? What do you what do you
1: my business was um, some form of fix-it concierge guy. I basically used to say that via your checkbook, I'll make your next cocktail story more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that used to be, you know, just a lot of the thing I said. But my book came out uh, three years ago, um, called *The Art of Making Things Happen*. Uh, Bluefish in *The Art of Making Things Happen*, and I just wanted to. I got the chance by Simon and Schuster to write this book on how a 15-year-old you know, former bricklayer can be dealing with you know, the Pope. And so I wrote this book just to try and get people to stop being complicated, you know, be happy with relationships, learn the art of communication, um, all these different things. It was basically me puking out into this book things that were pissing me off about today that I hoped a couple of people would read. We didn't even have a website when it came out. <laughs> um, It's been a bestseller all over the planet. It's been translated into, I think, seven languages so far. It's been translated into Russian at the moment. And it's basically a a guide and a permission for people to do things simpler and more impactful to get the clients they want rather than the clients that they've got. And anyone that has to communicate, whether it be with your kids, your wife, your business partners, clients, prospects, whoever, This book is here for you. So when that came out, I found myself kind of pivoting. And now I work with entrepreneurs and I coach them and I have Sims distillery and uh, speakeasy events to help entrepreneurs really do things differently uh, and Mm -hmm. stop following the norm. Stop doing this because everyone's doing it. And I'm really out there to show, look, I fucked up on this 20,000 times, but I only had to get it right once. And now, we'll look what it's done for me. So I'm trying to help cut people away from a few of the scars, but that's what my day-to-day job is now. I'm getting entrepreneurs, shaking them up, rattling them around, getting them uncomfortable, and then spitting them back out into the planet more impactful.
0: That sounds awesome. You said it was called The Art of Making Things Happen?
1: Yeah, the book is, uh, and I know we're on the call, but this is it, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen.
0: It's a nice cover. Yeah, it's quite nice. I like it. Now, you said you messed up so many times. Do you want to uh, give us a story of one of those bigger failures? Uh, one of the ones that sticks out as being uh, specifically hurtful, embarrassing, or just a low point?
1: Oh, uh, God, there's loads. Uh, but I'm going to pick on one because of your comment regarding Shiny Object. I have a little saying in my head in my head now, but I also verbally say it out loud. Every time I get on into a Shiny deal, and I mean Shiny, meaning it's got... A name behind it, or a big brand, or something like that. When I've got the proposal in front of me, I utter these words to myself. I actually say, "Okay, I hate this. Now let's see if it's, it's going to force me to love it." Because as entrepreneurs, we naturally love everything. In fact, the easiest way I have a state uh, a saying the easiest way to make an entrepreneur go bankrupt is to do this: walk up to one of them and go, "Hey." I bet you couldn't do this for $10. Now, the entrepreneur, and you know it, you're smiling. The entrepreneur doesn't look at the $10. It looks at the challenge. It looks at the gauntlet, okay? And that's how you get ba- uh, entrepreneurs to go bankrupt. They look at the challenge. They look at the shiny. They don't look at the impact. So I remember doing a deal with, uh, and I've worked for, with uh, uh, the Grammys, uh, Sorrel and John, the New York Fashion Week, Kentucky Derby, Formula One, Piaget, Tiffany, my Piaget, the biggest luxury brands in the planet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember getting a deal with an award show, one of the biggest award shows in the planet. And I was so excited that I was now involved with this. I didn't look at the devil in the details. Okay. And at the end of the contract, it had ended up cost. I hadn't made money. It had actually cost me $150,000 to be in that deal. Wow. And I was like, I paid to be <laughs> in that deal. You know,
0: this was a, a substantial deal. amount too.
1: Yeah. This was a deal that should have made me loads of money ended up costing me loads of money. And I always, re- I realized that I'd focused on that gauntlet over money kind of thing. So now I learned from that. And the following deal I got was with Sir and John for his Oscar party. Because of the shit I'd gone through on the other deal, I was able to look at this deal see where it could possibly bite me, tweak it, edit it. They accepted it. I ended up working with them for about eight years.
0: Yeah. Well, once you get burned that bad, then you start realizing how important it is.
1: I got educated. You know, I didn't have that education before. And, uh, you know, I've recuperated that money because of that lesson. I've recuperated that 150, you know, a hundred times, purely and simply because I now know where that little devil lies And I go searching for it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. So was it more like a contractual thing where they buried some some Initially, It
1: was a contractual thing. And there was some um, uh, handcuffs that were in the deal that I hadn't paid attention to because the people that I was talking to, you know, I was in a room full of people that were literally movie and rock stars.
0: Yeah, so you're like, where do I sign? I don't even care what it says. Yeah, I'm like, oh
1: my God, just by standing next to you, it's going to be great, you know? Yeah. And then it severely bit me in the ass.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, well, I haven't had enough money to fail that badly, but I've definitely failed with all I've had before. And uh, and it is certainly the best lesson. Uh, even like with this podcast, I'm not trying to make money. I'm just trying to figure out how to learn more because, I mean, it's so important. I know my failures have taught me certain things, but I've only got such a limited scope of fuck ups you know and i know by by talking to people like you and and others who've really put themselves out there to the extreme we can find out some stories that you wouldn't typically hear i don't know have you been on other podcasts as well uh quite a, i have a joke that
1: i am the podcast slut i have Perfect. been i've been on like 300 plus podcasts so uh yeah and i've do, been on, i've been on a few
0: do most of them focus on the good things
1: um no Funny enough, I would say that there was about 20% that just want to hear stories of me and Andrea Bocelli and, you know, me and they, they just want story time, but most of them want education. And my whole goal now at the ripe old, obnoxious age of 55 is to impart as many lessons as I can to those people to think differently and do differently. So I only want to be on podcasts where the whole point is to help the person listening.
0: Yeah. And so you, you, you may mentioned a couple of really good tips earlier. Are there any other specific tips you'd say if someone's in a rut or someone's uh, struggling to find what they should do with themselves? You, you bounced all around, you said, to have failed all sorts of different jobs before you could figure out what you wanted. Do you think that's the best way to do it? What would you give uh, as advice for those who want to kind of maybe, you know, make it a little bit easier on themselves, but <laughs> still try to find out uh, how, to, how to achieve more?
1: Well, the good thing about failing is that you become empowered. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've, I've made, I've made fortunes and then I've lost fortunes and then I've made fortunes again and I've lost fortunes. But the good thing is by the time, the second time you lost all your money, you suddenly start learning how to make it by yourself. You know, you become empowered that, okay, I lost it, but Hey, I've made it before. So let's do that again. But the next time let's just avoid those things that made me lose it. So, you know, you've got that kind of volatility in the early stages. Do I think it was good? Yes, because I'm educated, I'm smarter, I've got a PhD in fuck ups, and I've become <laughs> empowered. So I'm good on that. But you're right. The whole job for us and for anyone that fails, and for anyone's in the in the in the, the profile or the, the eyeballs of people nowadays, our job is to try and give you a way to avoid some of those scars. Okay. Yeah. And so you want to know, you're in a rut, you want to find out what you can do, you sell it, okay? This is this is the easiest way to help you. You're in a rut, okay? What you've got to do is you've got to analyze what could you do easily that somebody else can't? Now, maybe this is write good copy for a website. Maybe this is produce someone's podcast. You can't be a podcast host. But maybe you can package it and produce it for them. Maybe you, you're good at data entry and reaching out to good guests. Whatever you can do that's easy for you, that's your solution. Then go and find someone who's got that as a problem. Especially now, if it's difficult
0: for other people. If it's a typically well, yeah, difficult thing. Yeah.
1: That's, yeah, that's why I'm focused. What is easy for you? Because if it's easy for you, it ain't easy for somebody else. Cause yeah. we've all got these kind of things. So once you know what you could do easily, find someone that's having trouble with it and invoice them. Yeah. You know, sell you as the solution. Now here's the one beautiful thing. And the big misconception people get into business. And the first thing they do is, Oh shit, I better have a pretty website. Okay. Gives a crap. Everyone can have a pretty website. I could say that I was running for president tomorrow. And by tomorrow night I could have a fantastical website. Okay. Very easy to get a good website done. But if you're a solution to someone's problem, no one cares. When was the last time you went online and looked up headache tablets and tried to find the website of a headache tablet company? You don't. You go into the pharmacy, you pick up a headache tablet. And when you've got a headache at two o'clock in the morning, you don't give a shit about the logo. You don't give a crap about the packaging. You care that it solves the problem. No one's ever visited a website on the milk they buy, you know? You just don't do it. So focus on you being a solution on all those other peripheral things, they go away. No one cares.
0: Yeah, and I I bet some of the struggle is to try to get in there enough to even show that value to people, to get past their shields that they might have in order to show that solution that you might be able to provide.
1: Well, the first client you're going for doesn't need to be Elon Musk. Okay, you you won't be. (laughs) No, it won't be. Um, My, I never contacted Elon. I was given Elon by somebody else that knew Elon. So it's a ladder effect. You look after someone's problem, and they're going to tell other people, and then it's going to go up, up, and and it keeps doing that. So in the early stages, all you've got to do is solve someone's problem, and then say, "Hey, do you have any friends that you feel have this problem?" Yeah. I do. I have three people. Bingo. Now you're doing what's called exponential growth.
0: Yeah. And everybody, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but everybody wants to, if they don't have the solution, they want to be the person who says, I know a guy who can do that, you know? And if you're that guy, eventually Bingo. someone above them was going to ask for some help. And if they can't do it, but they know you can, they still get credit a little bit for, you know, yeah. introducing you to them. So it's, it's a win-win across the board. And then hopefully you're helping the guy uh, that they're talking to. Exactly. Exactly. It's like you with the finance.
1: I realized years ago, I was shit with money. I was absolutely, I couldn't account for it. I didn't know where it was going. You know, I didn't want to sit. I didn't want to look at it. If I yeah. had a lot of money in my bank account, I got lazy. If I had a little bit of money in my bank account, I started hustling for the wrong deals. So, this became a bellwether for me that was bad. And, and so what I did was I took myself out of the equation because I knew I was shit at it. So That's now I have someone that handles all of my finances and I just have a credit card enough for me to be able to buy a motorbike and a couple of first-class tickets. And I can get out of any danger on that. But I swear to God, I cannot tell you how much
0: money yeah. is in my bank account. You just convinced me of my own idea because – I can manage other people's money. I can tell them how to spend it. I can do, you know, crazy Excel financial models that tell all sorts of stuff. Once the money's mine, it's gone. I mean, I can—I have no self-control. So I literally got to do what you're doing, which is have someone else be in control of it. I need to have a little bit of a fuck around budget because otherwise, I don't know if it's because I grew up poor, kind of like you, or at least lower middle class, at least for me. And so I feel like, oh, money's going to go away. So I might as well turn it into things or something. (laughs) Another idea I had was, okay, if I have money, I need someone else who I have to convince that it's a good idea to spend it because <laughs> if I have to verbalize it to someone else and convince them of this ridiculous idea, I'll realize it's dumb as I'm explaining it to them, but I can convince yep. myself of almost anything. So yep. it's tough to, uh, to walk that line, but it's good to know where your weaknesses are so you can kind of put yeah, roadblocks or, or like little hacks so that you can't mess it up again. Because I'm, I'm just like you, I can't, I can't manage my money the right way. And I don't like doing it. I don't want to think about it. I just want to have fun, you know? And so it's tough. I I want,
1: I want nothing to do with it. You know, my wife handles all the invoicing. As I say, if I can, if I've got enough money to be able to see a motorbike and buy it and I'm good. So uh, other than that, I don't care.
0: And so have you been riding motorcycles all your
1: life? Since the age of 15. I don't have a car. (laughs) (laughs) What is it that you love about them? there's a multiple uh, for one you are completely experiencing the moment you know like mm-hmm. you'll do 100 mile an hour down the highway in a car and you'll be fiddling around with the radio or sipping your mocha latte or whatever but if someone opens up all the windows what happens there's a sudden sound and a rush yeah. isn't there and everyone's oh put the windows up put the windows up when you're on a motorbike you've got the different smells as you go through a canyon you've got the different temperatures as you get closer to the ocean through the hills you've got complete you are completely experiencing that moment you also can't piss around with the uh, with the uh, radio you can't be drinking a macro flapper you can't be bloody picking anyone up or taking anyone with you you haven't got to worry about oh i've got to go and pick some dog food up because there's nowhere to bloody put it so you're fully you- engaged You're fully engaged in that moment of your life. And so many of us are not. So I ride motorcycles for that solidarity and, and uh, that engagement and just being at peace with me. And I have a pad in my pocket, in my leather jacket. And when I get off the bike, all of these ideas suddenly start coming flowing through my head and I write them all down on the pad, put the pad back in my pocket, carry on riding, stop, you know, it's a great way of basically getting some time away from everything.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. I think whatever it's, I mean, it seems like it's almost a, a source of active meditation, so to speak. It is, where, it 100% it is, yeah. But I am scared of motorcycles, so I, I've never really gone down that path, only because I haven't really had any experience with it. And it's, I'm envious of it because it seems like it'd be so much fun, or at least definitely an adrenaline rush and a way of, experiencing travel that i haven't done yet and so is there a specific motorcycle that you like or is your favorite no i have
1: experiences so i have very old motorcycles old british bikes that you know they do naught to 60 in about three days and they just create this it's like going back in time when you're on these bikes it's like noisy it's vibrating but it's like this going back. It's, it's literally like a time machine. And then I've got some Harley Davidsons if I just want to roar through the canyons with my wife on the back. And I've got some uh, Ducatis if I want to drag my knee at 120 mile an hour around a corner. Mm-hmm. So each one of them gives me a different experience. I've not got a single bike that gives me the same experience. That's the thing. It's- I've ended up buying bikes and gone, well, hang on. You two are very similar. Pick one of them and go. You, you don't yeah. want two of the same pieces of steak in the fridge, you know? Yeah. So I always make sure in the garage, each bike is
0: different. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think you might've inspired me to at least go try one out at some point. Cause, uh, there's nothing, I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of things that I haven't done yet in life. Like I have no tattoos. I want to get a tattoo. There's a lot of things I want to try and I hate cars. Um, and by hate, I mean like, I don't, I actively try to not learn how they work. Cause you know, I'm, <laughs> I say I'm the opposite of a handyman, which I don't know, a footy man, whatever that would be. But, um, <laughs> You know, I got to start trying a lot of those things because if I, who knows, I might love it, you know? Yeah. And now before we get into the last couple of questions, which are more kind of future based, uh, yep. is there anything else on the topic of failure that you want to make sure that we touch on before we uh, get to those? No, be, be proud to fail. Yeah. Fail more, fail faster. <laughs> yeah. Learn lessons. Make sure you learn from it. Don't just, don't just purge it from your mind at least because it's good stuff. You know, you want to, if you paid the price, you might as well get the lesson out of it. You know? Yep. So being a guest on the show, you get to have what I call a get-out-of-fail-free card, which is similar to the Monopoly get-out-of-jail card, but you can use it to pursue something, a passion, a hobby, a career that you've never pursued because of the amount of failure involved. Maybe it'd be an actor, be a a stand-up comedian, or weightlifting, whatever the thing is, you can use this card to basically make it so that you won't fail in it. Is there, I get the sense that you probably would, would do almost anything, but uh, is there something you would use that get out of fail free card for?
1: Probably the only thing I would use it for is in my marriage. Um, oh, that's a good you one. Know, because as entrepreneurs, every now and then we do things and you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or I have bought another motorcycle and maybe I'm in trouble. So, you know, I would use that in the relationship because those the relationships are always the things that benefit from a good good life. They're yeah. always the first things to get hurt by it. So yeah. I would say that I'd probably keep it in my back, back pocket if I said the wrong thing to my beautiful wife.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a great way to use it. I, I don't think anyone's used it for relationships. So I like that. <laughs> and then what is the next big thing you're going to fail at? What's, what's your next big failure? What are you doing now that are going to do that? You have no idea what you're doing and you're just going for it. Well,
1: I'm writing another book. Um, there you go, And I want it to be better than the last one. So I'm writing go for stupid. And let's see where it goes. I just want (laughs) I want to get as many people as possible uncomfortable and impactful. And that's my goal.
0: So it's called Go for Stupid?
1: Go for Stupid. It'll be released next
0: year. Nice. I'm trying this whole thing started as me writing a book called The Power of Fucking Up or something like that. And then I realized I could, you know, get some more insight, you know, from other people. So I I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights. Uh, is there somewhere you want to point people, maybe a website without a phone number and email that they can go check you out? Or uh, what would be the best place to find out what you're doing? So there's a whole bunch of places. For a start, I've
1: got a completely free Facebook page called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Um, you can find me on stevedsims.com. You should definitely go to simsdistillery.com and learn about my inner community where I converse with you on the problems you have. Other than that, that's it. You know, look up me on Steve D. Sims on Instagram and look how pretty my freaking life is. You know, it's just all
0: that kind of shit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And who knows, maybe someday we'll have you on again once you release that second book. I certainly commend you for all the stuff you've done, but I also know writing a book is not an easy thing. So great job with, no. uh, with that blue fishing one. And I'm glad you're going back into it because I'm sure it would be a shame if all the things you've learned didn't get passed on in some way to the people that need it.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate
0: it. Well, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day and I hope uh, it goes well. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training.